Hello and welcome to the Big Fan Podcast. My name is Emma and on this podcast we are going to chat to big fans of big musical acts. You have probably found this podcast through my newsletter, the Ginger iPod newsletter, um, which is available on Substack at gingeripod.substack.com if you're not subscribed already. And if you are, thank you so much for reading it. I really appreciate it. It didn't start out as a very serious thing, but I love getting your feedback. I love the conversations that have come from it. And that was the goal. So I thought the podcast element would add to those conversations. And I'm really looking forward to speaking to some of you about the relationships you have with musicians, because I find it so interesting how we soundtrack our lives and how some artists and bands really stay with us, how some albums kind of mark periods of our lives. And I'm really looking forward to having some nice chats. So this podcast, like the newsletter, is going to be a bit thrown together and most of them will be one run and done kind of jobs. Um, this is a side project, but I think it'll be nice. It's a nice space for conversation. It'll be a bit nostalgic. You might learn something or you might just um, be eavesdropping on a conversation either, which I like in a podcast, so I hope you enjoy too. I did procrastinate in starting this element though, um, I have to admit, but part of that was because once I conceived this idea for these conversations, I knew exactly who I wanted to speak to first. My own Uncle Benny is one of maybe the first fans I was aware of. To me, he is almost synonymous with Bruce Springsteen in that any time Bruce is played on the radio or comes up in any conversation at home, someone will mention Benny and vice versa. And so I really wanted to speak to him about where that connection came from and what it led to. Um, where it brought him. He has followed Springsteen around Europe. He has met people from all around the world. There's a real community that go to these gigs. He is still friends with some of the people that he would have listened to the records with first. And I really wanted to get into all of that and explore it a little bit. And I had that opportunity this week because Bruce is in town. He has been eating burdocks chips. He's been in the long haul in all of his usual haunts. And that has also brought Benny and full family in tow to go and see him in the RDS tomorrow night. I have to say I'm a little bit jealous because I saw him on Friday night and the show was so brilliant that I'm envious that you still have it to look forward to. But first and foremost, welcome and thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. No, I'm delighted to have you. So thank you so much for coming in and taking the time to speak to me. And I thought we'd maybe start at the very beginning and go back to your earliest memory of Springsteen or like where were you when you first heard him or what was the moment? What was the spark that maybe ignited all of this? When I was like 10, mm -hmm. I used to work in a cobbler shop, would you believe? Well, I was the messenger boy <laughs> and the guy that owned that cobbler shop cobbler shop. I knew him through the soccer club and I used to play soccer for Ballinat Town and Vinnie, Vinnie Walsh was his name. I wasn't the greatest soccer player in the world. <laughs> I think he kind of took a piss of pissy on me. Vinny, but Vinnie was the greatest soccer player. He was like my hero in sporting okay. terms. You know, he was Connacht player of the year. And that. So that's how I got to know him was through the soccer club. And he had, as I said, the shoe shop and Vinnie had a turntable in the shop and he played records they got wrecked. <laughs> Did he get new records? 
everybody involved in soccer club would come to that shop and they would give Vinnie records to play and I mean it became an institution there could be 10 15 guys around that shop at any given time mm-hmm listening to music you know so you have to remember this is in the 1970s when there was very little to do yeah. you know so and, but in fairness there was a lot of unemployment in that you know so people just did what passed the time you know but anyways uh, I used to listen to a lot of you know stuff from the 60s like the Allman Brothers Doobie Brothers Rolling Stones the Beatles all that sort of stuff and like I was way ahead of me time I suppose Bob Dylan was there and Neil Young and so on and then one day this guy came in and it was much later now but that's the background from the music point of view but I'd say it was when I was 12 or 13 there was a guy called David Flynn we used to call him the bird we still do to this day (laughs) but David worked in Germany and he had come home and he brought a copy of Born to Run into the shop and uh, if memory serves me correctly, there's eight tracks on that record. And the A side was always played, you know. And one day, Vinnie was gone out of the shop. And I turned the record over, and I think it was mm-hmm. the first time the record was ever turned over. And I played the B side. And Jungle Land was the last song of that tra- album. And that was the hook. I just hey. fell in love with the song. You know, that song in particular was just the hook. You know, so... It kind of went from there. That's where it started. But, you know, it was very difficult to get records that mm-hmm. time. I'll tell you a funny story now, just that it's in my head. I went to our local record store, which was also the local fish and tackle shop. <laughs> so you kind of really make that up, can you? <laughs> no. but it was more of a fish and tackle shop than a record shop. But the guy that owned it, was, his name was John Byron. And I asked him, I had seen in those days, if you wanted any information on music, you had to get the new Musical Express magazine. Mm-hmm. But, like, I was only 12 or 30. You wouldn't have much money, you know. So you'd go into the local news agents and you'd read it for free and <laughs> <laughs> go out of the shop. But I remember an article being on it that Bruce said the new record out, yeah. which was Darkness and the Edge of Town. So mm-hmm. that's 78, I think. So I went to the record shop and I asked John Byron to order the record for me. And, you know, I'd convince somebody to buy it, <laughs> you know. But anyways, I think, you know, back in those days, it was very, very difficult for small record shops in the west of Ireland to get a record, you know, and that was the truth of it. And it could take two years, you know, okay. because it was an import, you see, too. And it wouldn't have been mainstream charts music at the time. You know, you're talking about the end of the punk era and so on. Mm-hmm. So, um I harassed that man for two years <laughs> to, to, about getting the record, you know. Eventually, anyway, I think it was 1980, early 1980, and I was going past the shop one day, and John called, Young Carl, Young Carl, I got the record for you at last. And I went into the shop, and he presented the record. And I looked, and I just said, John, that's not the record. No. <laughs> he got born to run. <laughs> <laughs> He was devastated. He said, who am I going to sell this to? (laughs) So I said, well, that's not what I ordered. (laughs) That's a true story, yeah. And around that time, who would you have been chatting to about music or who Uh, were interested in You know, everybody was into music where I grew up now. All all the lads I went to school with and grew up the streets. Like myself, I had had four older brothers, Mm -hmm. your father being one of them. 
Ken was into the Beatles and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And But everybody was into music, you know. Um, you two had come on the scene a lot in those days and... You know, you had in coming into the eighties, then it kind of had the madnesses. I just didn't like it. It okay. wasn't me. I didn't even like you two at the time, yeah. to be honest with you. Even though I have seen them six or seven times since, but at the time, I was listening to Bruce and I was listening to Neil Young and Bob Dylan, and I used to tell the lads at school, like if we went to go to first year and second year and secondary school, saying. You don't know what you're talking about, you know. <laughs> you haven't heard of, of real music, you know. But I just liked what I liked, and I still do to this, even though I have diversified a lot over the years. But I, I, at that time, I, I wasn't interested in anything new, really. Yeah. I liked everything about the 70s music. And then the 80s, I didn't, you know. There was so much stuff I didn't like. I didn't like Yazoo, and I didn't mm. like... Duran Duran and those sort of bands it just didn't appeal to me I didn't like the t- top of the pops brigade basically okay. you know and I was very much into the Americana I suppose yeah. you know it wasn't Britpop I liked it was American music I kind of liked and it's very much like that to this day even though I kind of like a lot of American country music now okay yeah I just got into the American country rock thing you know mm-hmm. and especially southern states America that sort of thing but I got a lot of that from listening to Bruce you know because he you know he's an eclectic taste of music himself you mm-hmm. know you see what the new record he brought out recently yeah, he went yeah. back to Motown you know yeah you know but I, I just had all show. that sort of stuff you know so I never really liked what the lads in my street liked okay but there was a mixed bag of you know, heavy metal and whatever, and it just wasn't me. That was as simple as that. And what was it about Bruce that resonated with you over, say, maybe Tom Petty or Bon Jovi or someone of the same strain at the time? Just the, when I heard Jungle Land, really, I think it was just that combination of the piano and the saxophone, and then you had this big drum beat, and mm. that particular track was operatic you know it's, yeah. it, it was a story to us you know Spanish Johnny wrote in you know and it was just it was a story and it was the lyrics resonated with me and then you it was coupled with this fantastic saxophone solo from Clarence Clemens and you you have the Max Weinberg keeping it all together and you know uh, even though I think there was a different drummer on Born to Run itself Ernest Carter I think is his name but yeah. anyway somebody's going to correct me on that <laughs> You know, it was just the sound. It was just, yeah. it, it was just guitar, piano, saxophone, and the combination. You know, I think Springsteen himself and the lyrics. He was telling a story, you know, it was about. It was about every day. You could resonate with it. You know, it's about every day living and people just doing ordinary things and you know, getting into situations and you know, you're watching something on Netflix now and you're. It's a, it's a little mini-series. He's telling it in a song, basically. Yeah, it's yeah. relatable. You touched on it a little bit there in terms of the everyday storytelling um, and the Americana element that you mentioned too because the music is very American. The stories are American and the American dream is nearly the central part of the imagery that we associate with Bruce. You see it at the concerts now where everyone has the bandanas and the cowboy hats and the big American flags flying and yet, despite being so quintessentially American, it really seems to resonate with people internationally and especially maybe in Ireland, we really have a connection to his music. Why do you think that is? I think, you know, the Vincent Hanley thing that was done, the MTUSA, and that was ahead of its time, really, in our era. We didn't get music like you do nowadays, you know, like... I mean, if you go into my house, you know, there's a 
few thousand CDs and mm-hmm. there's a few thousand vinyl records and yeah. you know if you were thinking you paid 10 quid for every one of them and you'd be going gee I wish I had that money now well you <laughs> could have it all in your hand so the the accessibility of the music was very poor you mm-hmm. know at the time and you were totally reliant on radio stations so like I remember waiting up late at night there used to be Radio Luxembourg you know mm-hmm. Benny Brown you know and <laughs> you know but you, that's where you got to hear outside of the charts you know, you could hear the top of the pops pretty much anywhere. But you know who interested me? had a great show. It was Pat Kinney, oh, believe yeah. it or not. He used to have a show on a Saturday evening in, in his early career called The Outside Track. And he he played all album tracks that, you, okay, that weren't you singles. Yeah. But Vincent Hanley thing definitely brought the American video. The, that was the video age had come. And mm-hmm. MTV wasn't even... A thing at the time, but he would bring it. The videos were coming. The videos were only flashed at you. You didn't have a TV channel dedicated to it. But Vincent Hanley brought that. But I think that's where the Americana came because all of a sudden we had access to something like we were listening to predominantly the British charts, you know. Mm-hmm. So the access came from America through that. All of a sudden, John Byron didn't have to wait two years to get the, the record for you. He could get it in a couple of months, or you know. Nowadays, you can get it instantly, you know. Yeah. But so things do change. So that's it. You mentioned there the punk scene, and then Duran Duran in the eighties, and now looking back, there's such a strong image associated with that kind of music, and people who listen to it. There's such a fashion associated with it. Was that true at the time? Was that visible? I suppose on the streets, or were you going around in your Bruce's denim jacket? No, <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. No. No, all the lads that I grew up with, basically, they did. You know, there was, you know, the Mars, the Rockers and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And there used to be a badge collection and everybody would have denim jackets with badges mm-hmm. on them and or a baseball hat. Not me. Never. No. No, no. No, trust me. I was just jeans and a T-shirt, happy out, you mm-hmm. know. But I, I, I used to like to buy rock and roll T-shirts, you know. Yeah. But... I wouldn't wear something that didn't, I didn't, a band I didn't like. You know? <laughs> I wouldn't wear it, you know. And could you get away with wearing a bandana around Ballina at the time? Yeah, you probably would have. But there was this sort of born in the USA image that came with Springsteen when, it, when it, the popularity came to the fore. You know, it was very much a marketing thing okay. from Springsteen's people. And, uh, you know, and I remember go, I actually found a scarf. I have a picture of it here, but I, uh, I found a scarf today that I actually bought in Slane. Oh, wow. And believe it or not, it just fell out of the water today <laughs> by pure chance. But you see, you see how that American flagish that is, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it, the born in the USA thing, you know, became very much, here's the American mm-hmm. I don't know how to work a man's hero. Yeah. That, and that's yeah. how he was portrayed, really, you know. I didn't ever bought into it, you know, because I was already a fan, if you okay, know what so I mean. so that came after the music. Yeah, like, I mean, Born to Run and, you, you know, the, the first album he had was Greetings from Master Partner Jersey and then there was yeah. The Wild Unist and The Easter Shuffle, which was is now my favourite record of all time. It's a good one, yeah. And Darkness and the Edge of Town and The River had all come before Born to Run, mm-hmm. or Born in the USA ever came along. Okay. So I didn't buy into that Americana thing. And I remember saying everybody was wearing an American mm-hmm. flag or American... The same at the RDS this week, yeah. Yeah, and it, this, it's very much done. But I, I tell you, the people in Dublin this weekend that do that, and I've known all the shows I've been over the years, they're all from the Born in the USA era mm-hmm. every one of them whereas you know people that are a bit more 
like me that have come from that wouldn't be bothered with it really. You mentioned Slane there and the gig of course in Slane Castle in 1985 was Bruce's first time coming to Ireland and it was also I think his biggest show to date at the time. We're seeing loads of archival footage of it this week on RTE and it was front page news at the time. It was kind of a monumental moment in Bruce mythology and in music history and in Irish history and you were there to experience it firsthand. I was. Who did you go with or what was that like? I, I went with John, my brother. I met your father. <laughs> Didn't know he was going. Dad was a closet Springsteen fan, He was fan, a closet Springsteen. Like, th- that's the man that told me, you're listening to rubbish. <laughs> because some of the sounds were gra- grammatically incorrect or something. You know? <laughs> the very dad answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's something like that. Yeah. I think it was, was Hungry Hearty had a bit of a hang-up about. <laughs> but no... Um, you know, a lot of the lads that I grew, you know, they, you know, they they weren't really big Springsteen fans, you know. I was kind of there and before they were, you mm-hmm. know. And my sister was getting married in the same year, and I actually told her if she got married <laughs> the same day as Bruce that I'd be at Bruce, you know. Now, lucky enough, he came before she got married. But, no, I went to Dublin. I remember John was living in Dublin at the time in, in Clonliffe Road. We just got a bus down from Dublin. Mm-hmm. There was no one in particular on the bus. No, I did meet people from home there. A very good friend of mine who said he's no longer with us. He was there. He he was a huge Springsteen fan. But like mm-hmm. myself, he come from before yeah. the born, you would say, era, you know. And you've but, been listening to him for like 10 years at that point. So was it yeah, like emotional yeah. or like what was the build up oh, to that it like? Was like I, it, it, I, I had been at the Rolling Stones in Slane. Yeah. in 1982 and I had no business being there because <laughs> I was only 16. I told my mother I was going to see the Pope that he was coming back or something <laughs> like that. But anyways, I ended. Up, I, I, I think my mother didn't even know I had gone to Slane. But anyways, I went to the Rolling Stones. So I kind of, the fact that I had been there, I kind of knew the vantage points mm-hmm. of being there because, you know, you can read all you want about Slane in those days. It's a different animal these days because there was it was just an open field in front mm-hmm. of the stage was in front of the river and there'd be no barriers and there was no toilets or there was holes in the ground and things like that, but the vastness of it was. So the reports at the time there was eighty or ninety thousand at the stones, and then Springsteen came around in eighty five, and I can tell you here now Emma there wasn't a blade of grass in Slane to be seen. <laughs> It was it. There was a hundred ten, hundred twenty thousand people there. There had to be, oh, okay. you know. And I think people were, you know, using what the revenue knew and what we know as two different things. You uh, yeah, because I think the official but, figure is sixty-two yeah, thousand. But well, it looks I can like promise more. you, I, you can ask anyone that was there; they'll tell you. Yeah. That they would agree with me that there was at least a hundred thousand there. Okay. Because there wasn't an inch to move, and it was an extremely hot day. It was June Bank Holiday weekend, as far as I remember, mm-hmm. and. It was a very, very hot day. I remember them coming out, trying to hose down the crowds and that. <laughs> like you could see Springsteen himself was was, was um, a little bit taken aback by it, you yeah. know. Where the PA desk was, I was kind of standing to the left of that, I remember. And for some reason, somebody thought it was a good idea to start pushing forward. Okay. And all of a sudden, the sea of people came and pushed. And where I was standing, me being a small, slight fella, you know, you you just were taken with it, you know, and it was a little bit scary, you know. And what kind of crowd or demographic would have been at that first gig at Slane? That's a good question, now. 
I would say mostly older than me anyway okay. at the time, you know. That's interesting. Yeah, I was probably 19, was I, what, 85? Yeah. I would say most of them were older than me, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. I read something somewhere this week that described how Springsteen kind of went from being this small cult figure to being an international superstar relatively quickly, I suppose, when Born to Run came out in 75 um, and how it kind of exploded. But that cult status, I feel, really persevered when you look at the crowds that go to the shows now. And there's a lot of people who... They're not casual fans, like they're going for the three nights, they're travelling to see him, they're bringing their families, they are die hard. I do feel like his fan base are different to others that I've seen or witnessed myself, maybe. You know, like Slane obviously was unique in itself, but over the years, then as other gigs that I've gone to over the years, if you go to gigs now, you know, you have to pick queue and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee it, nearly everyone in that pit knows each other. Yeah, and I want to talk about that community because you obviously caught the bug bad at Slane there. But how many times have you seen him since then? I've only missed one show ever in Ireland. I read today it was 38, but I, I don't know the figure, to be mm -hmm. honest. The only one I wasn't at was Kilkenny. And I've been to him in Barcelona and London. and I don't know, I think like 40 times maybe. Wow. But like, but there's nothing like some of I I'm meeting people tomorrow, and I guarantee you there's one couple there if they're from Wales, yeah, and they probably have been at fifteen or sixteen hundred shows, mm -hmm. so I'm in the hippie place really, you know. <laughs> no, but uh, you know the the thing about going to the concerts. Just come back to your question. Yeah, there's kind of a, a community formed, mm -hmm. you know. Like we even have our own Facebook page, you know that group, and there isn't many in it, you know. There's like three hundred maybe. But they don't want any more in it. Yeah. But any time we go to a gig, especially uh, if you go to Spain or Germany or wherever you might go, there's a big communication. Who's going and who, you know, yeah. and meeting up and all that. And then there's a whole weekend or long weekend. Everybody goes to the same restaurants and the same oh. bars and stick together for yeah. and hang out together. And it's, it's a real community thing, you know. So, like, people have come to Bellinar to visit us. You know, there's a girl, Nellie Greeley is her name. She's from mm -hmm. Chicago. And I was going to say, what's like, are they you, all Irish? Are they American? No, from European? everywhere. 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 Okay. everywhere. But if you look at YouTube, at Springsteen videos, live yeah. videos, she's practically in every one of them. Okay. But she comes to Mayo all the time to visit us, you know. Yeah. Uh, she's a real hip chick, you know. Then there's a couple from Wales that said Canway and Howell. They used to bring their kids, like I did, mm -hmm. and I still do. Yeah. There's people from Ireland, Germany, Holland, Denmark, all over, basically. Mm -hmm. You can meet people from everywhere. And, we're just, and we only talk to each other when there's a gig on, you yeah. know. There's very little communication in between. But once, like, you know, there hasn't been a show since 2016, I think was the last time he was yeah, here. You know, and the COVID thing. But there was still communications going on, you know. It's a thing. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love that when you have a community based on a shared interest be that music or something else you end up spending time with people that you maybe wouldn't usually or I'd say you've met some real characters I'll tell you what's an important thing in that group now we say we went to Barcelona in 2016 yeah there was a, there was a big crowd there that time there was 120 or something like that and but we went to other gigs while we were there we were there for a week okay you know, in bars and stuff so yeah. we didn't to get away from the Bruce thing, you know, so you kind of, rather than just being flat out Bruce, you know, yeah. so to kick it up a bit, you know. 
because you get bored with it otherwise, you know. Mm-hmm. No, there are one or two, obviously. It's always exceptions <laughs> to the rule. <laughs> so having seen the show so many times over the years, were there any particular tours or particular shows that stood out as something special or different or... I mean, even just traveling with big groups of people, I thought I'd say you've collected some stories over the years. I like to keep them at home. <laughs> Barcelona, uh, you know, they have great crowds there, yeah. you know, and everywhere you go is different. I mean, we went to London to the Emirates Stadium and I didn't particularly like that show. It was nothing wrong with the show. The audience were different, you know. Okay. The interaction was different, you know. If, you, if, if you're going to a show... Outside of Ireland, you know, I have to say Dublin is fantastic. Barcelona's probably the best, you know. Uh, I think, like, I was in Belfast, in, uh, and it might be because it was indoor. And it was in the Odyssey Arena. Okay. That was in 2007, I think. That was a great show. It was just one of those shows that he, it was on the 17th of December, mm-hmm. that show. And I remember because it was my wife's birthday. Oh. And that's the was she I, with you? She was, of course. <laughs> and... But that show, he he played for three and three quarter hours or something like that, you know. It, but it was just there was just something about it, the way he. I think it was because he was in Belfast. Mm-hmm. It, it just meant a big thing, because you couldn't probably go there and feel safe before that. I'm sure you could, but you know there might be a, 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 something say holding me back from doing mm-hmm. it or whatever. And I got a sense that he was just delighted that he he had been in Belfast. Yeah. But the show was fantastic. It was just, that sticks out in my head now for whatever reason. Plus, he, he a girl and a fella got married that night. <laughs> so that, that sticks in my head too. But yeah, I think, you see, they're all kind of a much of a muchness, you know. Bruce is Bruce, you know. You never disappoint it, really, you know. Yeah, no, because I think at a good gig, there is a moment where you just forget everything else and it's very much an experience. You know, you're in the moment and I feel as I get older that I'm getting that less and less for whatever reason. And yeah. But I really had that moment last time I saw Springsteen and I was a little bit nervous going this time that maybe it wouldn't happen again, that the magic wouldn't be there. I, I don't know what it is that I look for, but I definitely got it in the RDS the other day for me I kind of speak for everybody but yeah. me personally going to a Bruce show I'd always look at the set list from okay. the previous shows yeah. because there's always something different there's always a differentiation yeah. along the way and uh, Born in the USA now for example the record the, the album mm-hmm. would probably be my least favourite album controversial you know controversially yeah, people yeah. say <laughs> But I like to think a lot of those songs were played and Sunday gone and he'll he leave them out. He did play that, yeah, a lot of them. So yeah, I don't want to hear Dancing in the Dark. Honestly, <laughs> I don't. I don't ever hear it again. Ever since I saw Courtney Cox in the video. <laughs> but that's just a personal thing. But, yeah, of course. you know, when you go to a show, for me personally, uh, as I said, you go to a show and he plays the songs that I want to hear. Mm-hmm. And I only ever heard him doing Jungle Land once, believe it or not, live. Okay. Yeah, I and don't all think the I've shows, ever seen it. In all the shows I was ever at, I only seen him doing it once. And that was in Dublin. Yeah, it's all down to the tracks he plays. I'm looking at the set list now for this particular tour. Now, I've been following it through America until yeah. before I came to Europe. There isn't that much of a difference in, in the set list. No, this I time think around. they play the same. Yeah, they're the pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Because wasn't it true they used to not really have a set list? It was more of the audience's vibe or yeah, it was more of a yeah. jam. There was always there was always that uh, sign thing, you know, the yes. people brought their signs yes. and, you know, uh, he played the song and it's a bit of showmanship too, I, I no doubt that he... Now, the band can turn their hand to any sound. I don't want mm-hmm. to pick the fans out crashing in on this and say, <laughs> what's he talking about? No, the, the fans did play a part, like, there's yeah. no question. But I think that he'd pick the sign, sign of a song he was going to play anyway, you know. Okay, okay. There's a bit of that. Yeah. But I have seen, uh, I have been at shows now, to, to contradict myself, that he has picked a sign and he would say, they're challenging me, you know, <laughs> whereas it'd be a rare song that only, you know, it, it'd come from this box set of tracks that didn't make it to the regular albums oh, called yeah. call tracks. And all the rare songs around it, and people that might have bootlegs, you know, of songs that weren't heard before. But somebody had brought signs with all the rare tracks listed, <laughs> and he pulled one, and he said, we can do this, you know. So maybe I'm giving him a bit of a bad press there. You know? <laughs> but look, he, he, he's a crowd pleaser. That's it. That's what he does, you know. That's his job, I suppose. And could we talk a bit about the E Street Band? Because they've been there since day one, practicing on East Street which is where the name came from they're still on tour with him and I think that they are as much a part of the show if not more central to the show than Bruce himself I, yeah I mean the backbone of the band you know yeah. I mean I, I, I met a few of them believe it or not I met Jake Clemens I've met Max Weinberg I met mm. Niels Zapfren do you have any favourites? Um, no not really I, I like Max on the drums. I think Max on the drums is is the... To me, music is, you know, about the arrangement of a song. It's not... Yeah. My daughters and you might kill me about... <laughs> you're talking about uh, Lewis Capaldi and singers like that. And they're all about singing, you know. And there isn't much substance to a song. The arrangement of a song... I don't want to sound too technical because I'm no musician myself, you know. But it's just... Every component in, in the E Street Band is somebody, it's their job to do that job mm-hmm. and do it well. Like you have piano player, you have a saxophone player and the drummer. But Max Weinberg for me is the glue. And that big, he sits up high on the drum and it's not the biggest drum set in the world. You know, yeah. you ever see like big heavy rock bands and they have these massive drum. He is a very contained drum kit, but what he gets out of it is unbelievable. It's just... But it's his beat that keeps everything ticking over, going, go, 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 go. And Bruce always, always, every song, is he points at him, yeah. give me the beat, you know, and, and that's where it all starts and finishes, you know. It's very much part of the, the, the music is the drum beat. And I think it's obvious, you know, if you're listening to it. Like, I think Bruce probably was the first one to bring it to popular culture, if you like, yeah. in music, you know, this big, heavy banging crescendo of everything else around it you know yeah that's true like in the two live shows I've seen it's been Born to Run um, has been a kind of highlight I think because of that massive kick drum yeah it's yeah. like a wall of sound like yeah when you think Springsteen that's what you imagine yeah it's the drum and the bass and yeah. The, yeah but the, the the drum in every track going, even going back to the very early stuff is really is the backbone and the beat mm-hmm. you know and everything else is just built in around us you know so I think yeah I, I like Max but there's no, there's no bad musician in the band. I mean, no, no, they're amazing. No, they are. They're all and the, you know, the testimony of a great band 
the length of time they're together. It's mm-hmm. Like they're phenomenal musicians and they could go anywhere. Neil Zogfram, for example, he left Neil Young to mm-hmm. go to Springsteen and he's been with them since. So that's just tells you the calibre of what it's doing. Yeah. And, it, and he's an exceptional musician in his own right. I've seen him solo, you know. I mean, Neil Zogfram is without question one of the best guitar players ever. He mightn't be recognised, but in my opinion, he is, you know. And then you have Gary Talon, he's playing the bass there and he's totally anonymous. Mm-hmm. You know, he just stands there and he does his thing. Yeah. But these guys have been together for, like, th- there's been a couple of changes. Obviously, Clarence Lemons died and Danny Federici yeah. died or whatever. But they've been together, Steve Van Zandt, Bruce, Neil Zockford, Max Weinberg, the, the Gary Talon, they're the E Street Band. Some say that Jake Clemens is not part of the Eastern band, but he is really, you know, he took over from he his is, uncle, yeah. like, you know, so. Oh, he'd nearly be one of my favourites now. But like, even even the backing singers, this tour now, he has a whole new brass them, section, yeah. and they're yeah. all part of the band. They're just class. They are class, to be fair. And the age of them as well, like, it doesn't show at all on stage. They're together so long, there's nearly a symbiosis. Everyone knows what the next person is going to do. And it just comes together to make something really special. But it occurred to me when we were chatting there, like they're together 40 years and you've probably been listening to Springsteen for as long. And I am really interested in the way that like music stays with us or kind of soundtracks our lives in a way. So, for example, I started listening to Laura Marling at 15 and there's always maybe a two year gap between the time she writes something and the time I hear it. So... I feel like I've grown up with her. You know, she's always two steps ahead of me. She's kind of writing about what I'm about to approach in life. And, you know, Bruce has written about growing older, about being a father, about being a grandfather. And you in those same years have, you've grown up, you're married, you have your children, you've lovely grandchildren now, Fia and Rian. So I was just wondering what your relationship to Bruce has been like over the years. Like, he's been there that whole time. I don't really know, um... It, to me, like, it's... It, it, early on, as I said to you earlier, when I heard Jungle M for the first time and the lyrics and, mm-hmm. and the piano and all that, but as time went on, you know, I haven't loved everything he's done, yeah. you know? I mean, I don't think you can be a fan of any musician and love everything they do. There is blips along the way. Yeah. Of course there is. But... Was there anything maybe in him that you wanted to, like, embody or carry with you? I just he's always been just a decency in him, or that's what it's portrayed. Mm-hmm. But I've never heard anyone say anything else about him. You know that he was this, that, and the other. Like my sister-in-law now has met him a few times in New York. Oh. He he signed a book for her for me, but unfortunately he said Vinny instead of Benny. Oh, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the book though. But, um, she met him a few times. They do this concert thing every year called Stand Up for Heroes. Yeah. And it's for veterans of American armies or whatever. But Claire has met him a few times. And she said every time she meets him, he is just the nicest fella in the room. It seems that way, yeah. And there's nothing, there's nothing false about it. It is what it is, you know. And what you see, face value. And I think that... You know, if he never lost that kind of image with me, I'd probably say, well, no, Bruce, you know, mm, yeah. we've been good to you. You should be good back. But he's never, you know, you see him here in town on this weekend. There's pictures everywhere of him just walking up the street and he goes to the long hall for a pint and he goes to Burdocks for fish and chips. Yeah. 
I mean, you never see Bono doing that, and he lives in Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, but you know, there's that sense that he, he he feels comfortable enough to go out of the hotel and walk the streets on his own. Yeah. And so you you was you the told me he was yeah, downtown so today. Yeah, records just before this. Yeah, but you know, I think that's what the appeal is for me that he's just an ordinary guy that. He did the thing with Charlie Bird and nothing ever phases him. And oh, that's that lovely. You know, there's just that nicety about him, I think. Yeah. You know, he, look, he's 73 or 4 now. He's not going to lose it at this stage of his life, you know? <laughs> I think we're in the clear. Yeah, I think so. I love how music can kind of be handed down through generations. And so we would have Bruce or maybe Fleetwood Mac from Dad or Mum used to love Enya and Abba. And it's it's a lovely kind of bonding thing, an intergenerational thing, which you have given to your children now. My cousins, Sarah, Maria and Orla, or now Fia and Ria and your grandchildren. So what is their experience of Bruce or their relationship to him? You'll all be going to the show this week. Yeah, the girls, well, they had no choice, really. <laughs> you know, well... To, personally, the, to me, that's that's one of the, one of the best things I did as a father. <laughs> it's, it's no, but seriously, it's kind of a legacy you leave. Yeah. You know, they obviously love other types of music, mm-hmm. and I ne- wouldn't necessarily like everything they like. But that's okay. I never judge people in music they like. If you like Daniel Donald, that's your business. Fine. <laughs> I have no problem with it. No, I don't. Genuinely. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can like who you like. It doesn't really matter. And the girls. They love Bruce, you know. Yeah. As I said, they have their own playlist on Spotify and all that that wouldn't include. But they genuinely love Bruce and I've brought them to concerts when they were smaller and they'll all be in town tonight now for the gig tomorrow, you know. And it's become a kind of a a thing, I suppose, for the want of a better word. You know, if we're going to Bruce, we're all going, you know. And when the two grandkids are old enough, they'll probably tag along as long as I'm able to walk and whatever, you know. But it, for me personally, that's the most fantastic thing, you know. Yeah. Like to stand in Crow Park with your kids and Bruce on stage or the RDS, you know, Tolman Park in Limerick we were at. It's one of the greatest thrills of your life to be able to put your arm around your daughters and, and Bruce is there right in front of you. And, you know, what more could you want, you know? Yeah, we definitely had a moment. I was there with my dad on Friday. Yeah, it is but it's, special. It, but especially for the parents, you know, I, the kids mightn't see it as much, you know. But for parents, it's a very special thing that they're doing something together for a start. Mm-hmm. But they're, it's a common interest, is, you know. That's, yeah. yeah, it is special, like, and for me, it is very special, you know. And even Fia, now my granddaughter, like, she's only seven, but she, she'd be listening, you know. Yeah. So it's yeah. like it's there in the background, you know. So hopefully <laughs> we'll be able to carry it on. But I think music is a very personal thing, you know. So yeah, definitely. It is, yeah, yeah. Because so, I don't listen. You know, people think I listen to nothing but Bruce, but I, I do <laughs> listen to other stuff. I have a guy now I'm listening to at the moment called Ren. Do you ever hear of Ren? Ren, R-E-N. you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love him now, you know. Yeah. He's my new kick at the moment. <laughs> He's the British answer to Eminem, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to put him in the newsletter. But you mentioned legacy there and that's such a gorgeous thing like even for me when I hear Springsteen I think of you or I think of my dad and I was wondering are there any albums or songs that bring you back to a certain time or place or are there any songs that were maybe significant to a certain event in your life Bruce or otherwise well the river has to be okay because that's when I had girlfriends I suppose and uh, (laughs) there's a girl called Sinead Quinn well her maiden name is Terrell mm-hmm. and she was kind of my first girlfriend 
And I remember walking past the local news agents in Ballina one day, and Melody Maker was inside the door on the floor. They used to throw them on the floor at that time. And Bruce was on the cover. Okay. And it was a, the River album had been released in 1980. And I said to Sinead, do you see that guy there? He's going to be great. you got to get <laughs> listening to that guy. And how long goes 1980 to now? For 33 years? 43 years? Yeah. For, yeah. Wow. She'll be at that gig tomorrow night with me. Aww. Same girl. That's lovely. And like, we're best of friends ever yeah, since. Yeah. Like, you know, but... She does every time we'd meet somebody, like she'd go, This is the guy that introduced me to Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> she tells everybody, and I'm, I'm the reason she likes Bruce, you know, it's all his fault, you know. But you see, that's that to me is what it's all about, you know. Yeah, exactly. But, um, and then you see, coming back to the Sinead, and then Jimmy, Jimmy Moran was a good friend of mine before Jimmy died a few years ago. We used to go to gigs with Jimmy, and then you know, it just became more people, more people, more people, and that's the nice thing about it, mm-hmm. you know. And you go to the gig and you have a good time, and you go home and you have a happy memory, and you know that's the important thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. And that's a lovely note to finish on because we are nearly at the end, but I have saved the two hardest questions God. for the last. What is your favorite Springsteen album? My favorite album. Yeah. Is The Wild, The Innocent and The East Street Shuffle. Shuffle. Very good. And my favourite song? Yeah. It's going to be the next question. Yeah, it is. Incident <laughs> on 57th Street. Very good, very good. Even why though Jungleland would be up there. Yeah. You know, why, because why that's 57th the first. Street? Again, it's just the story. It's just that. It's the arrangement and the story. It's just the same, you know an orchestra in the in the song yeah. and this was the hook for me it was this mm-hmm. operatic kind of all the songs were seven eight nine ten minutes long and yeah. you know they weren't the three minute radio song you know i remember listening years ago at home when you had a big pair of bulky headphones and you know there was no earpods oh, or anything like that bulky ones, yeah. yeah yeah but you know and you were trying to lie in bed and <laughs> you couldn't <laughs> yeah. you know but you know you listen and that story you know when you had that in your head you know yeah. with those big but you transport yourself into the story, you know, and that's the hook, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, it is. And I just like that kind of thing, you know. That's the magic. That's the magic, yeah, you know. So, Benny, enjoy the show tomorrow. I'm a bit jealous, to be honest. Well, i get you a ticket if you I'd want. love one. Yeah, I would, I would. <laughs> I bet you I could, though, if you wanted one. <laughs> I, you know what? Don't tempt me, because I actually would love to. But, Benny, thank you so much nice for chatting to, to me. It's, it's been, been a pleasure. It's been absolutely lovely. No, it's um, been fantastic. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I have something small for you as oh. a thank you. So you're sorted for tomorrow night now. Oh, God. Fantastic. Right. Thank you very Somebody. much. That's fantastic. Um, I should wear so it tomorrow much. with pleasure. Yeah, that is the plan. That's the plan. So that is us for the first Big Fan podcast. Thank you so much for listening to our rambling there for the last half hour or so. Um, thank you for subscribing to the newsletter. Or if you haven't already, you can go to gingeripod.substack.com. And you'll get an update about once a month and sometimes it'll have one of these episodes attached. Um, Like I said, over the summer, we hope to speak to some people who will be going to Harry Styles out at Slane, who'll be going to the Killers in Belfast. Um, And we might even touch on the Taylor Swift Eras tour. I have some really lovely and great guests, as we had today, lined up for the next few months as well. So thank you very much for indulging me. (laughs) And... 
as with the newsletter itself. I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode or if you're going to see Bruce, the boss, in the RDS over the weekend um, or if you've been already, I'd love to hear about it. So do feel free to carry on the conversation. You can reply directly to the newsletters and that sends an email to me or I'm on Instagram, Twitter, wherever else. At Ginger iPod, thank you so much for listening. Oh, 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 oh